Oh, I could use that ready recollection this morning. We're going to look at a fairly uh, in-depth topic. Now, I know that last week I had mentioned I wanted to spend a lot more time talking about uh, family and marriage issues, uh, and I still do. So if any of you have any specific topics in particular, please let me know. We're going to spend some time looking at, I didn't know a better way to call it, the great struggle as we begin to look here at Romans chapter 7 and 8, now a lot of people will spend time on Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And Paul here in Romans chapter 7 is dealing with a uh, great struggle that is taking place. And certainly as we begin to break this down, most of us realize that within this world there is a struggle between one who knows to do good but really does not do it. They don't carry it out. And there's a struggle be between a desire to keep the law of God, and then also a war with the law of sin. Now, Paul begins to describe this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. And most of you have heard sermons on this. But here's the difference. We're going to begin to break this down a little bit, and we're going to actually keep it in context here in Romans chapter 7. We're going to touch a little bit of Romans 8. And so as we begin to look at this, most of you have heard this, this uh, set of passages before talking about this battle taking place within man, within man himself. But by sitting and looking a little bit more at the context, you're going to get a little more information than you normally will get. Now, here's the first question we have to begin to ask as we begin to talk about this personal struggle. And I know we haven't gotten to our texts yet, but here's really what we want to ask. Is Paul, as he begins to talk about this struggle taking place, <clears throat> is he specifically talking about his struggle as a Christian? Well, if you go back and you look specifically through Romans chapter 7, 8, and a number of other places, you're going to find that we have that personal pronoun being used quite often of I and me and my. And that is certainly indicative of the issue that Paul himself is dealing with. Now, we've got to go back into context a little bit, because as you begin to look at this, we have to remember Paul was a Jew, but now he is a Christian, okay? This background is very uh, important for us as we begin to talk about this struggle that he is describing and also remember his target audience. Now, the fact that Christians struggle is taught a number of places within the Scriptures, and that's what most people talk about when they hit Romans chapter 7 and Romans 8. They talk about the struggle between knowing right and the desire to do wrong. That's where most people really spend their time. You could look at a number of passages and find that. Let me give you just a couple where we talk about this inner struggle taking place. I'm going to go over to Galatians chapter 5. And what we're going to do is we're really setting the stage for the fact that uh, quite often this struggle is described in a number of places in our New Testament. What Paul is dealing with specifically is just a little bit different. Okay? Notice Galatians 5 verse 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, we don't have to spend a lot of time uh, looking through the Bible to realize that lust of the flesh is an extremely great struggle for a number of people, and it's dealt in a number of areas. And that lust of the flesh would deal with a number of different personal desires. Let's go on over to James chapter 4. He mentions this war also taking place. He doesn't really call it this a struggle per se, but there's a battle taking place. James 4, verses 1 through 3. From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? 
Ye lust, and have not, ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Again, James talking about the internal struggle that man oftentimes has. And again, this would address a number of struggles that we have within each of our personal lives. Peter also talks about this war taking place. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And again, Peter's discussing this internal struggle that takes place. And Paul is, Paul is addressing that. Uh, it's included in what he talks about, but Paul is specifically talking about a very uh, much more specific battle as we begin to break down Romans chapter 7. Now, in context, as we begin to look here at Romans in chapter 7 and even into 8 here, Paul is really talking about his struggle as a former Jew who is now a Christian. I don't know how many of you guys have come out of other religious groups, but if you will, go back for just a second and think about what it was like to come out of whatever that religious group was and to become a Christian. Considering the overall context of the book of Romans, Paul makes it very clear that justification is by faith in Christ. It is no longer by the keeping of the law of Moses. I'm going to go on over to Romans chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. There are a number of people who have <clears throat> come up in other religious backgrounds and then came to an understanding that their faith was not the ordained faith according to the Scriptures. It wasn't the authorized faith. Well, Paul came up as a Jew, and at one time, being a Jew was, that was being part of God's people. However, as we're going to notice here, that old law came to an end. Now, there were a lot of people still living according to the law of Moses. And so Paul's going to address this struggle that you couldn't maintain living that life as a Jew and think that you would still be justified. Notice Romans chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now remember, oftentimes throughout the book of Romans, you need to translate that word, their law, as uh, the law of Moses. That is what he is talking about in context. And we'll know that as we continue to read through the passages. Notice verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, that's the Jew, by faith, and uncircumcision through faith. What's his point without doing a whole study on the book of Romans? <clears throat> the point is simply this. Man is justified at the time of Paul's writing through the New Testament, through the gospel system. Now, regarding this personal struggle, we need to consider the immediate context of Romans chapters 7 and 8. And Paul's comments, as we look here, are directed specifically to those who were familiar with the law of Moses. Let's go over to Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. And we do know that Paul, often, Paul would preach to the Gentiles, but Paul would oftentimes go into a city and he would go to the synagogue and he would preach to them. And we know oftentimes in letters he would even address to those who had once been Jews or even to those who maybe were Jews but might be there listening. Romans 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, notice this very closely, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now John here, 
I'm going to go over to John 1.17. John contrasts the Old Testament to the New, the New Testament. Listen to what he says. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's really what Paul is setting out to explain as we begin to look here at Romans chapter 7 and go into verse 8. Christians are married to the law of Christ, not to Moses, not to the law of Moses. And that's really how many of these Jews acted, right? They would oftentimes talk about Moses. And, and it's almost like they were married more to Moses and the law of Moses than they were to God Himself. And that became evident when the law of Moses actually came to a, a cessation or was nailed to the cross, and yet they continued to abide by that law of Moses. It's like they were married to the law of Moses more than God. The law of Moses couldn't justify the Jew. And so Paul begins to set all of this out. Now, oftentimes as we begin to look at, as people look at Romans chapter 7 and 8, they don't talk anything about this. They talk specifically about, yeah, you, want, you know right, but you want to do wrong. Guys, there is a whole lot more to what Paul is talking about here. The principle that we just read from Romans 7, 1 and John 1, 17 is that man is under some type of a law as long as he lives. And that is true in every dispensation. You had the patriarchal law that came to an end, right? You then had the law of Moses that came to an end. You then had the law of Christ or the gospel system. <clears throat> Those once married to the law of Moses, they died to the law through Christ. Now, many of the Jews at that time, and many still today, they have not done that. Listen to Romans 7, 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, remember the law of Moses, by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Many of these Jews who had been um, followers of the law of Moses, they were released from that system if and when they obeyed Christ. Otherwise, they're still married to the law of Moses. Guys, the law of Moses was a physical law based on physical sacrifices, and he points out that the law of Christ is a spiritual law. That doesn't mean that it's a spiritual law without uh, the necessity of obedience, but he's saying there is a difference in the systems, right? Those once held by the law of Moses had been delivered or could be delivered from that law through the law of Christ. Let's go on over to Romans 7, 6. He says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. See that word serve there? Remember I said the idea that you're living according to this, law of, this new law of grace, that law that allows grace, doesn't relieve you from being obedient. That is what's taught by a number of people. That's not what Paul says. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What letter? The letter of the law, the law of Moses. That's what he's talking about here. The law that the Jews were delivered from is clearly the Ten Commandments. That's what he's talking about. Look at the very next verse. What shall we say then? Romans 7, 7. Is the law sin? Which law are you talking about, Paul? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. What law are you talking about, Paul? Well, if you go over to Exodus 20, verse 17, that's not in your notes. He's talking about the law of Moses. That's part of the Ten Commandments. So when I told you earlier, when you see that word law here in Romans 7, he is, he is normally speaking about the law of Moses. Guys, most people do not address any of that when they begin to look at Romans 7 and 8. They don't keep it 
in context. That gives me a lot of information about what it is that Paul is talking about and referring to when he begins to talk about this struggle. And the struggle, don't get me wrong, was applicable under the law of Moses, but it's also applicable as a Christian. But he's pointing something out that's extremely important for those that may be followers of the law of Moses. You can't be justified under that system anymore. The struggle still exists, just like it will under the gospel, but the, the Old Testament is lacking in a number of regards. It's no longer in effect. There was no Redeemer that had shed His blood, and the list goes on and on. It doesn't make any sense to be a follower of the law of Moses at the time of this writing. Now, the context here really helps us to understand this dilemma that Paul's describing as a former Jew, or for those people who were still currently living as a Jew. And although we may not deal with the exact struggle that Paul is talking about here, we deal with a number of similar struggles. You have people who are leaving religions today to become Christians, just as the Jews would have to leave that faith to become a Christian. You had people then leaving worldliness to become Christians. You have people today leaving worldliness to become Christians. And so it's, it's still applicable as to what he's talking about. But I really want to dig in with the context here and keep it regarding what Paul is dealing with. So let's go on over. We're going to begin to look at the verses now. We will start here in Romans 7, 14, and we're going to work our way through the very beginning of Romans chapter 8. So follow, just keep your finger there in Romans chapter 7. I will give you some support verses, but primarily we're just going to stick with the book of Romans. And I'm going to begin to explain what he's talking about in, in a, a way that's easy to understand, as Brother Quentin mentioned earlier. Romans 7, 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. Let me pause for a minute. That which I do, I allow not. You ever heard somebody say, uh, they say one thing, but they do something else, right? You shouldn't do this, and then you go ahead and do it. That's what Paul's saying. For that which I do, uh, which, which I do, I allow not, right? He goes on, he gives something else. He says, for what I would, that do I not. How many of you guys have ever known better? You know you should do something, but you don't do it, okay? Part of this battle is taking place, but again, he's ta talking specifically as we go forward about Old Testament contrast to New Testament, that's common, though, for everybody, even for those who would, be, who would not call themselves Christians. Even those in the world know there are certain things you just don't do. You don't kill people, right? And yet, things like that exist. He goes on, But what I hate, that I do. How many of you guys have ever done something and you literally despised your actions? There is a battle that's taking place between, between each of us in these regards. The battle took place under the Old Testament under the law of Moses, but it's still taking place under the New Testament. And man oftentimes desires to do good, and yet he finds himself unable to carry it out for a number of reasons. Guys, that's the great struggle that's really within each of us. And man often has a desire to abstain from evil, and then he finds himself, for whatever reason again, unable to carry that out. But here's the point. That's not the law's fault. It's not that there's a problem with the law or that the law is is lacking, uh, and this would be true in both worldly and spiritual laws. Most people would agree that the law is good, right? I shouldn't go out and steal. I shouldn't go out and commit adultery. I shouldn't go out and murder. So most people agree that the law is good, but they find that there's a desire within themselves, for whatever reason, to not follow the law. Now, let's go on over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, because he begins to give us more information. Paul says, Romans 7, verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, 
I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Let me pause for a minute. There are a lot of people who here will start to begin to teach that inherited nature of sin. That is not what Paul is talking about at all. We will know that as we go forward. Uh, he goes, uh, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth in my body, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, not I, I would I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Alright, what's he saying? My mind knows what is right and what is wrong. But here's where the great struggle comes in. My body, or the lust of the flesh, is not always in alignment with my mind. This would have been the case for the Jews. They knew there was a number of things they should do and should not do, but their, their actions were not always in alignment with that word. And the, the same thing is true today for the Christian. But again, it's not the law's fault that Paul or you or I are sinners or that we choose to sin. I guess I should phrase it that way to be more specific. The law simply points out that uh, there are things that we should do and things that we should not do. But the very fact that uh, I might commit a transgression, that's not the law's fault. And we'll talk a little bit about this, but a lot of people look at the law of Moses as being inferior to the law of Christ. And it was in the fact that they didn't have a redeemer. They hadn't had that bloodshed that could cleanse them. But guys, here's the thing. If man, if man never sinned under the law of Moses, would you even need a redeemer? No. So there was never a problem with the law itself. The problem has always been with man. man if man could have lived perfect under the law of Moses, there would have been no need for a New Testament. But the problem has always existed from the very beginning with Adam and Eve all the way through the patriarchal age and even through the law of Moses that men couldn't maintain the law. And so they needed a redeemer. Now, this whole thought process that Paul is starting to carry out here, guys, the majority of the Jews would not have been able to carry or understand this line of thought, right? Under the law of Moses, talking about in the flesh, the sin dwells in them. But here's the point. For the Jew, this sin was never removed like under the New Testament. And we've addressed that before. Every year they would come back, and year after year after year, and every year you came back, you knew you didn't have a Redeemer yet that had shed His blood. So every year you would have to carry out the atonement for those sins, but every year you still carried the baggage that, guess what? You're a sinner, and your sins were never truly atoned for. Well, under Christ, that changes. And Paul says this desire to do good, it's, it's, it's present, but the ability to perform... That's not always present. And here's the real issue. How can somebody overcome sin if there is no motivation? Now, I think that's where the majority of sermons do go when they talk about Romans chapter 7 and 8. And I agree with that statement. How are you going to overcome sin or this great struggle taking place within us if you don't have personal motivation? right? And guys, if you think about it for just a second, consider worldliness for a minute. What is the motivation to change? There is none. What's the world say? Accept me as I am. 
Accept my likes and dislikes as I am. Uh, there's nothing that should guide what I like or what I want to do or don't do. That's what worldliness is teaching. But the Bible is making it very clear. There has to be motivation within each of us to overcome this great struggle. So, Paul is showing us very clearly that each person struggles with this issue, and so sin dwells in them. But sin is not inherently in man at birth, as is often taught by a majority of groups out there. And sin doesn't dwell in a continuous state in a faithful Christian's life. I can be a faithful Christian and mess up, repent of that, turn from it, and again be faithful again. And we could go back, and we've mentioned that a number of times. But for the Jew... Now, granted, they could atone for sins, but their sins were never fully atoned for without the blood of Christ. Many of these Jews couldn't even really grasp this concept. They're waiting for a Redeemer, but they never really thought about the fact that they were carrying their baggage around year after year after year. Listen to Romans 7, verse 9. Paul says, For I was alive without the law once... But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What is he talking about? Well, there's a number of things really included in this, and we could probably spend an entire sermon on it. But sin entered in. We are talking about the fact that there is knowledge and responsibility. And that also ties into really the age of accountability. Uh, I know a lot of people teach that children are inherent sinners from the very second they are born, right? You hear some of these Baptist preachers saying, well, you know he's a sinner. Listen to those little babies cry. Guys, there is a point at which people are unable to fully comprehend right from wrong and the consequences from right and wrong. For some people who have mental disabilities, they may never get to that point. But for the majority of people, there is a point at which we have knowledge and then responsibility, which really begins to tie into this age of accountability. But one person's knowledge eventually gives them the understanding of right and wrong, and more specifically, moral versus immoral. Now, Romans even talks about the fact, very fact that the Gentiles had no excuse to say that there was no such thing as God. You can look at the fact that there are certain things that are clearly just wrong. They are just wrong. And the very fact that you can even comprehend and understand there's a standard should tell you there is a God. Okay. More specifically, uh, he is talking about this great struggle taking place. Let's focus in for just a second on the desire to do wrong. That's what most people focus on as they come here to Romans chapter 7, and they miss still some of the context. Follow along Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now in context, when Paul says, I find then a law, he is still talking about the law of Moses. What's he saying? Even under that law, when Paul did good, the desire to sin was still there. And again, the problem was never with the law of Moses. The problem was always with man. Man could not keep the law of Moses perfectly. And because he didn't keep the law of Moses perfectly, he still had this issue that was taking place, this warring taking place within his mind and within his members. However, there is an application here to the Christian today who's battling with the desires to occasionally sin. And as a general rule, there are occasions where evil is present in one who 
desires to do good. But again, that's not the law's fault. And I think most of us understand that. How many of you guys have ever heard somebody say, the Bible is outdated? Well, it's the law of God. And how many of you guys have ever heard say, well, it's, it's chauvinistic? I actually heard somebody, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I actually heard someone say, did you know that the Bible actually prohibits or prevents love? You know where that argument was going? They began to say that all love is love, and how could a loving God keep me from loving this other specific person just because of their idea of, of who should love one another? I'm not going to go any further, but you guys know where that, this argument is taking place. But you hear people all the time who will say that there is issues with the Bible, right? Guys, here's the thing. The Bible, whether it was under the law of Moses or under the New Testament, has always been rejected. And Paul is pointing this struggle out. The law in his, in his members of, or his body is waging war against the law in his mind. His personal desires through his weakened flesh bring him into captivity to the law of sin. That's, a, that's extremely important as you begin to go back and think about those who were still living under the law of Moses. But under either of those dispensations... Uh, the desire to sin often gives way to what man knows is righteous. Let's go on down to the next verse, Romans 7, 24. That word, most of you guys do not know this, but where it says, Oh, wretched man, I'm going to continue in a minute. That word, oh, that is, that is referring to the Jews. That is a Hebrew idiom. And so anytime as you begin to go through the Scriptures, specifically here in Romans, and you see that word, oh, he is specifically addressing the Jews. Okay? He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, he's been talking about this struggle taking place, and then he asks a very logical question. Who is going to deliver me? And guys, the answer is this, and it's needful for somebody living as a Jew, only Christ. Only Christ. You cannot be saved under that old system. You can't be saved under the law of Moses. Contextually, Paul is pointing out a huge dilemma for those living under the law of Moses who are dealing with this great struggle. Now, don't get me wrong. We deal with the great struggle too. But in context here, the Jews dealing with this great struggle who are waiting on a Redeemer, they need to be asking this question. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? And the answer is only Christ. You couldn't be considered righteous anymore under the law of Moses. Now, the same question applies to men today, and that question would be, who's going to deliver me? Guys, the answer is only Christ and only the faith described in the New Testament. That's a great struggle or dilemma for the Jews that would have been hearing this. I'm not discounting what is normally taught here out of Romans 7 and 8. There is a personal struggle between man to know right and to do right. But this is extremely applicable here to the Jews that he is addressing. And guys, it's not just the Jews... Think about all the groups today who cannot be righteous. How about agnostics? They're not saying there isn't a God, but they don't actually know if there is or, or is not. How about the atheist? How about the Muslim? People say, well, the Muslims, they, they worship God. That's a whole other topic in and of itself, but it doesn't match our New Testament. It doesn't match the will of God as uh, revealed through our gospel. How about the Buddhist? Same thing as the Muslim. Again, how about denominational groups or community churches who have their own, their own handbooks and their own uh, confessionals and catechisms, but none of that matches what's found in our scriptures? Guys, those are all man-made ideas or institutions. What they all need to be asking, the Muslim, the atheist, the agnostic, the person going to a denominational group, all of them need to be asking the same question. Who's going to deliver me? 
Jesus, just Jesus. So let's, let's begin to look at the very next verse, Romans 7, 25, and that's being delivered by the law of Christ. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with, this, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now in context, again, Paul's still contrasting the old law to being justified through Christ under the new law, but the process of justification still involves a battle of uh, mind and body. And that's really where most people focus here as they get away a little bit from the context. Guys, this is the same answer today for those wondering how to be saved or how to deal with many of their personal struggles that they have within their lives. And, and the answer every time is Jesus. Guys, you begin to think, I don't care what, what you're dealing with, I don't care what your, your great struggle is, but every time the answer takes you back to the teachings of Christ, our New Testament, our Gospel. And guys, this is the struggle. You've got to ask yourself, who am I going to serve? Well, for the Christian, there's a willingness to serve the law of God with the mind, but with his flesh he serves the law of sin. And Paul really begins to address this in chapter 8. Now again, you're going to notice a little bit more as he points out the distinction between Old Testament and New Testament. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. He begins to explain to you why he no longer has this condemnation that a Jew would have uh, as he now serves the law of Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We could actually probably do two or three lessons on this passage alone and break this down. He still is very clearly making a contrast between the old law and the new law. He is talking about the follower of God under the new dispensation, under the law of Christ. What does he actually mean when he says, walk not after the law, but after the Spirit? Guys, he is talking about the Holy Spirit, but not like most people today would teach. The New Testament was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were to walk after the teachings of the Holy Spirit. His point in context if you were to break it down, this is how I would reword it. There's no condemnation to those who walk after the who there is no condemnation to those who walked not after the law of Moses, but according to the law of Christ. Remember those Jews coming back year after year after year, they were following the law. Remember he says up here, he says, uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice this. For what the law could not do, what could it not do? And that it was weak through the flesh. How are you going to deal with this? Remember, it wasn't the law's fault, it was man's fault. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The law of the Spirit is the law of Christ. And Jesus came and He died on that cross as confirmation. He shed that blood. He rose from the dead. He was, in fact, the Messiah. 
and the New Testament was ushered in as the old law came to an end. Remember, there was nothing wrong with the old law, but they were always waiting for a Redeemer. Always. He says, the law of the Spirit. Again, that's the law of Christ. It was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And a living, living according to this law made him free from the law of sin and death. Listen to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, notice this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Old Testament was always looking towards that. The law of Moses was always looking for the Redeemer. But when He came and they replaced that old law with the new law, this new system was ushered in. And so, Romans 8, 3, what the old law could not do in that it was, what, in that it was weak through the flesh was justify the sins which the flesh struggled to do. And yet through Christ's death, sin's power was destroyed. Why? He shed His blood for the remission of sins, and we can continue to walk in that blood, in that light, and be cleansed by that blood when we fall short, repent, and again come back to being faithful. The Jews were carrying the baggage year after year after year. Now the struggle occurred under both dispensations, but Paul is showing the superiority of the New Testament over the Old Testament. Sin still exists as he's talking to these Jews, but the power to claim souls is taken away when one obeys the gospel, when they are faithful. Now virtually all commentators, as you read through Romans 8, 1 through 6, virtually all commentators rightly point out that Paul is contrasting the law of Moses to the law of Christ. Virtually every sound commentator you will find and even many denominational commentators will even point out, Paul is contrasting the law of Moses to the law of Christ, and that is correct. Unfortunately, many commentators begin to switch gears right there in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 5, and Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Okay? They go from the law of Moses to carnal sin. Why? Well, there are a lot of religious groups who teach inherited, depraved nature of man, and so they switch in context, mid-context of what Paul's talking about, and they go from the contrast of the Old Testament to the New Testament to talking about carnal sin. Now, the thoughts are valid in application, but I don't believe Paul's changing gears here. Go back to Romans 7, 5. He says, For when we were in the flesh, the, motion of, the motions of sins which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Guys, here's the question. What in the world does Paul mean when he says we, when we were in the flesh? Because Paul was in the flesh when he wrote this. Guys, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's not talking about fleshly carnal sins. With that being said, I don't have a problem with the viewpoint that he's comparing those who live according to the nature of sin as opposed to those who live after the Spirit. But in context here, as you're looking at this, he is speaking of the superiority of the law of Christ over the law of Moses. Either way, though, the answer for all is that you need Christ if you're going to overcome this great struggle. That's really what he's talking about in context. However, again, I don't have a problem with those simply wanting to talk about the carnal mind battling the law. That is addressed, but that's not specifically his point. In Romans chapter 7, Paul illustrates the weakness of the law of Moses. The law was holy, it was just, it was good, but it didn't offer true deliverance from the guilt and the power of sin. Listen to John 8, 34. 
Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Guys, this was the case under the Old Testament and the New Testament. But at the time of Paul's writing here in the book of Romans, only the New Testament was in effect today. And again, it didn't make any sense for somebody to be living under the law of Moses when the law of Christ was superior based on what it, what it gave. One can desire to do good, but the ability is oftentimes not always present. And Paul begins to provide the answer for deliverance from this struggle. Basically, in a nutshell, he's saying, obey the gospel and live faithfully. I think many miss the context as they look at Romans chapter 7 and 8. They, they get the main point of the carnal mind struggling with, with the law of God, but they really miss the context of what it was that Paul was talking about. Since we have uh, not very many people today, you guys get the shortest lesson as a reward. So, as we draw this to a close, I'm still concerned with really what we're looking at here, this great struggle. Paul's talking about how it is that one is justified. That would be my concern for anyone who is here today, whether or not you have become a Christian. There is no justification outside of the law of Christ. There is no justification in some denominational group. There's no justification in a community church as an atheist, as an agnostic. I don't care what group it is. The only justification is for the faithful follower of God according to the New Testament. That's what we desire for everyone. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, that's what I would request of you. Please call us, contact us. We will get you in touch with somebody or we'll study with you as we go through and explain exactly what they did in the Bible. You had in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, people teaching about Jesus, really simply. Jesus was the Messiah. And they talk about why He came and the purpose and the church that He established. And that's because you need to have faith, Hebrews eleven six. But you also need to have an understanding of the consequence of sin so that you can repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5. And you need to confess Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then you need to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. Mark 16, 15 and 16, Peter said the same thing there in Acts 2, 38 and a number of passages. That's how simple it is to become a Christian. Just a Christian, not a Baptist, not a Pentecostal, not a Catholic, not just a Christian. That's what Paul wanted, and that's what Paul was talking about. Being justified just solely according to the New Testament system. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please uh, don't leave without letting somebody talk to you. If you are a Christian, again, go back and ask yourself, am I living faithful according to the New Testament system of faith? That's our desire for everyone. As we draw this to a close, if there's a way we can help you in any way, you can come forward as we're led in the song of invitation.